Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Drs. Melissa Barnett and Pam Lowe. We talked about presbyopia and all the options we have related to presbyopia in terms of spectacle lenses, pharmaceuticals, contact lenses, surgical options. It was a real fun conversation to, t- to kind of put some parameters on that and explore their ideas and their communication techniques that they use with their patients. So please enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. Getting young presbyopes into progressive lenses can be tough, but it doesn't have to be. Verilux Liberty 3.0 lenses are an introductory solution for new and young presbyopes, and they are available in select ad powers. This lens provides all-in-one balanced vision for an accessible and great first-time progressive lens wearing experience. Learn more about Verilux Liberty 3.0 lenses and get free resources to help start the progressive lens conversation with young presbyopes at slorepro.com slash Verilux. So thanks both of you for coming on. Uh, Pam, you and I have had a long history in terms of professional relationship, and I've, I've looked to you for a lot of guidance and a lot of things over time. And, um, and Melissa, I've, I've watched you from afar because I get to read a lot of your pieces and I get to read a lot of uh, and see a lot of the stuff you're doing, but I haven't actually gotten the chance to interact with you. So I'm really excited to communicate both, with both of you today about some topics mainly related to presbyopia. And, uh, and so thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Pam and Melissa, when you think about, you know, the, the sort of tide, we've heard a lot about tides recently with hurricanes and elections. Um, but when you think about the tide that, that is coming within presbyopia, give me some perspective on kind of the data and the numbers related to, you know, who has, who is existing with presbyopia? What do they look like in terms of the workforce? And then who's coming? What do we have to be prepared for as optometrists? Sure. Um, Hold on a quick second here, because I wanted right. to pull. I, I can, yeah, I, I, I can pull something up real quick. Okay, but you okay. go ahead, Tim. Yeah, no, I just say, Chris, you know, great point. You know, Melissa and I wrote a paper called The Presbyopic Tsunami. Um, and it's really more than just a refractive error when you know like 1.8 billion, pe- billion people with a B worldwide um, have presbyopia. The prevalence has just never been this high. And when you look just in the U.S. here, millennials just overtook baby boomers in numbers and baby boomers are all firmly presbyopic. Gen X is right behind them and they're of presbyopic years. And so when you have the oldest millennial who turned 40 last year, I mean, that's just mind blowing the number of people in the U S alone that are. So Pam or or Melissa, Pam, can you, can you kind of uh, put a bracket around, you know, we hear baby boomers, millennials. Sometimes I don't think I'm a millennial, but based on uh, kind of some numbers I've seen recently, I am, I am the oldest. uh, Wait, no Gen Xers. No millennials. I would be the oldest millennial. So kind of give me a framework of, of when you think about those categories, what are those uh, birth dates and age ranges right now? Sure. I'll, I'll hop in here. So millennials, and you know, it kind of depends a little bit on what source you're looking at and things like that. But millennials are generally born 1981 to 1996. So they're entering their 40s. And there are lots of millennials now that are actually becoming presbyopic, which is so interesting. And then baby boomers are like 1946 to 1964, so that almost 72 million people. 
And so it's just this huge, huge opportunity. And I think one thing also that we have to mention are all those people buying over-the-counter reading glasses. So 31 million, 33 million people in the U.S. buying over-the-counter reading glasses. So we have this huge opportunity to stress the importance of eye health and eye exams, which is so, so critical in this presbyopic population. Well, Pam, you made a comment about how presbyopia is not necessarily related to just a refractive error. Do you want to expand about your your thoughts on that and how if we're going to communicate, as Melissa was talking about, in terms of it's not just about getting reading glasses. Look, I've had I had LASIK years ago or I have I've always had I had a conversation with somebody yesterday, my age, 41, and it wasn't a patient, but um, we were having dinner and and she uh, she made the comment, well, yeah, I get some headaches at the end of the day and yeah, this and yeah, that. But I'm not a glasses wearer. You know, I don't I don't wear glasses. I have perfect vision, she says. Okay. And so I'm thinking like, how do we communicate that message that one, it is, it is a refractive issue that leads to some of these other issues like headaches, eye fatigue, eye strain. Even now we know, you know, in terms of things like neck aches and, and other uh, things where we're not performing very well uh, and not performing optimally, but how do we communicate the healthcare aspect of it? Because it's really is, as I, as you think about it, it's a physiologic change. It is a physiologic change that is normal but it's not non, you know, so is it non-pathological? I mean, so how do we communicate that, Pam? Yeah, that great point, Chris. You know, just like you gave a great um, example of, of, of your friend who said, you know, well, I could just put reading glasses on. I love when I go to parties and someone finds out you're an eye doctor and then they'll go, you know, I've never worn glasses and I just go to the, the drugstore and I can put on some glasses for reading and I'm fine. And I'm like, great. Did the checkout girl tell you if you have signs of glaucoma or macular degeneration <laughs> or, you know, if your eye pressures were high and they kind of look at you, well, what do you mean? So it is important to say that is great. You see so well in this moment and it's great that we can give you reading glasses or something to help you read better. But when you look at what an eye exam, a comprehensive eye exam does, is we're looking at every part of your eye. So you're having changes to the lens of your eye where it's just getting stiffer and it can't focus anymore. And that's normal. That's all. Uh, that, that would be weird if that didn't happen, right? Um, that happens to everyone when we get to those certain years of 40 and older. But what we're concerned about is what you are not having a symptom of. So we're going to look in the back of the eye, and when there's over 270 diseases that could be occurring in your body, and you may not know it, and you're just categorizing yourself as, well, I have okay vision, and I could put these cheaters on to read, you know, it's really a disservice to those patients entering the years where um, hypertension has a greater risk, macular degeneration, age 50 and older, you know, leading cause of vision loss then, um, cardiovascular disease is crazy. And a lot of uh, patients who feel they're healthy can have underlying arrhythmias. And to your point, they could be having symptoms with it. And they're not articulating that to anyone because they feel they're otherwise healthy. Um, and we know diabetes is just huge. Um, and we can certainly Pam, see signs of that. I, so, I, I, um, so you basically covered all of those things. But in my sense, when I talk to you, maybe, Melissa, you could jump in here as well, is, you know, I think it's very helpful uh, because it's it's a messaging collectively, like we would look to the AOA, for example, for messaging about this for for patients, but also it has to come from their individual interactions within their doctor. And so, like in terms of the summary, for Chris Wolf, forty one year old uh, male, comes in 
and all I need is some some help for my presbyopia, whether it's like a Verilux X design or it's reading glasses or it's a presbyopia presbyopia drop or contact lenses. Right. We, you manage the refractive case. But what does it sound like to remind me, Melissa, that I also have all these others, uh, the potential for all these other diseases that you may or may not be seeing? I'm the patient. What does that sound like when it's coming out of your mouth? Sure. And I actually do this. You might think it's crazy, but in the college age or 20 year olds, I tell them about presbyopia as well. And what I like to do is go over all the negatives. The back of your eyes after the dilated exam look very healthy. You do not have diabetes. You do not have any signs of macular degeneration. And I just, depending on the patient, I list off a bunch of them. And a lot are based on family history. So say you have a family history of macular degeneration. I'm going to tell you that you don't have it and also go over some things that you can do to prevent these conditions. So I start talking about presbyopia quite early on. Because in the younger population, maybe their parents are becoming presbyopic. They're getting uh, reading glasses for the first time. And you did bring up a, a good point here is that we do have many options for presbyopia. So it's not just glasses, of course. We have multifocal contact lenses. We have pharmaceuticals. And that is just starting for presbyopia. We have surgical options we can offer our patients as well. And explaining for example, I had a 20-year-old last week who was interested in LASIK who was like minus 225 OEO sphere. And so I, at 20 years old, I was talking to him about presbyopia. Yes, you can go in for a refractive surgery consultation. Yes, that can correct your distance vision. But in about 20 years, this is what's going to happen. And he said, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of what I've learned in, in kind of thinking about this over the last couple of years specifically, uh, I think Pam, you and I have discussed this before is, is the preparing patients for things, right? Like I, I, I was uh, involved in a panel about a year ago and it was just kind of the lay person. I was sort of moderating lay people and their perspectives related to presbyopia. And, um, and while a lot of them felt, felt like they could sort of solve the problem they didn't they didn't feel like we as providers really uh educated them much about the process in advance or we sort of poo-pooed it or it was like not that big of an issue so it's sort of normal and you can just get by with whatever and so almost it's like well it, it's an opportunity for us we understand it so well as being non-pathological in the sense that it's not going to not going to cause bigger problems in and of itself so we can kind of underplay the, the impact that it has on that patient's life. And so in your, in your article specifically, you guys discuss how impactful presbyopia is on a patient's quality of life. Melissa, can you give me a, a sense of kind of that data? Sure. And, and, you know, I think what we've learned over the last few years, or what, maybe what I've learned is actually using the term presbyopia. And using that word, because maybe before we talked about, you know, changes or aging, I don't like to talk about aging at all, but with the classification of presbyopia by severity, we actually can use this to really help our patients. So we have the mild, the moderate or advanced severity. And we learn from that publication as well, that it's not really based on age. You could have someone who's 42 who has advanced presbyopia and someone who's, you know, 80 or something who has moderate presbyopia. But really, presbyopia affects people so much. So it affects work productivity. It affects 
there are so many physical and psychological aspects of a person's life. I don't know if any of you have seen those interviews with people who are presbyopic. They are just absolutely shocking to me, like unable to see the shampoo bottle in the shower, going with all these different workarounds just to get through the day. And I think actually traveling on airplanes is, is one of the best places to see presbyopia, right? Mm. In action. It's dim. Mm -hmm. It's kind of dark, right? <laughs> and poor contrast. And maybe you're a little tired, but all sorts of things um, come out of how people are compensating. But I think as eye care providers, we really need to listen to our patients and talk to them about presbyopia and give them different options. And it might not just be one option. It could be multiple options. Just like we don't have one pair of shoes, we don't wear high heels on, at the beach or something like that. We have many options for different situations. So we need to be creative. And that's what's so fun about it too, is that we have different options now to really help our patients with presbyopia and see very well and, and feel good and help improve quality of life in all sorts of different situations. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and I, I, yeah, I was just going to say, Chris, yeah, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I was I was, gonna, well, so I'll, 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 take, I'll t take this opportunity to kind of have <laughs> you expand on that because, you know, one of the things I thought in your paper was really good was, you know, oftentimes we undervalue, Melissa, what you were talking about, like what, are, what we are doing. And you think, oh, you know, a patient that has arthritis or diabetes or, you know, uh, hypertension, that's going to really impact their, their quality of life. But I think the numbers were like based on a survey. I can't remember out of the top of my head, but it was like a significant number of patients. Like when you come, when you say, okay, you have this condition, like arthritis, like high blood pressure or dry eye, you know, how, what, what is the impact on your life? Like overwhelmingly presbyopia was, was the number. Yeah, Can so, you more yeah, details so about that, that survey, yeah. sure. It was 37%. Um, the loss in near vision affected quality of life compared to arthritis, which was 21%, high blood pressure, 17%, hearing loss, That's 16%. And dry eye, I thought, was so interesting because that was 5%. And I often think that dry eye, and there's so many different studies that support that dry eye really affects quality of life, but that... The, the loss of near vision was so significant. And we all have patients who wake up one morning and suddenly they can't see anything up close. They think they're going blind. I'm sure have both of you had those patients. They call it. Yeah, urgently. it's weird. It's weird. I lost my vision. I'm going blind and it's presbyopia. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's also a lot of emotions that go behind being, like you said, Melissa, waking up one day because it does happen that quickly to some people. They just drop off the mountain all at once. Um, so, you know, in a survey also, Chris, 56% of patients felt that now I'm old. And then there was a mm. significant amount. The next amount felt frustrated. There was anxiety. And then I love the group that are totally in denial, right? Uh, so there's all these emotions. So I do try to tell my two younger associates um, who are giving that message compared to the senior doctor in the practice that may be giving that message to the patient that really think of how it impacts their quality of life, but how it, it, it is coming at them from an emotional standpoint. I had a, a mom in the neighborhood. I was out of town traveling and I get a text. She's like, Lo, I got a bone to pick with you. 
And I'm like, what the heck? I'm not even at the at the practice. And, uh, and, and so I call her up and she goes, look, I just saw your young associate and he was great. But if someone's going to tell me I'm getting old, it's going to be you and not your young buck. You know, so we had yeah. a chuckle about it. But I really I really believe that younger doctors who haven't experienced presbyopia yet need to make sure they're messaging the emotional side of it. And, and like I said, in our practice, we love to say, this would be strange if this didn't happen to you. This is a normal change to the lens of your eye. Well, and I, I yeah, think you bring that, that because up. presbyopia yeah, is often the first sign of aging, right? Yep. And, and that's why it's so emotional. It, it's the first point of someone feeling that they're old. And it's so obvious. I mean, it, you know, and it, and it, and like you said, it's um, it's something that you can't necessarily turn away from. If I if I stop working out and I and I kind of change my my eating behaviors, it's going to be kind of this gradual progression. But I can kind of like ignore it for a while. But I can't ignore the fact that when I pick up a menu to read uh, or I look at my I look at my phone, you know, I I can't do this or I'm enlarging print. It's it's always obvious every single thing that you're doing all day long, as opposed to other gradual changes that could be easy signs. Like, you know, my metabolism isn't what it was even just five years ago. It's not, I can totally tell. And so I've got to watch what I eat more. And, um, and so like, but that, if I didn't, it wouldn't be a dramatic change. That's kind of punching me in the face every day where this is sort of that way. And so, you know, you mentioned Melissa about, uh, classifying, presbyopia into mild, moderate, and severe, and how patients, you know, when we think about it based on our training, we would often think that, um, you know, yeah, a 50-year-old is pretty much an absolute presbyope, and they're pretty much going to need a 2 to 250 ad maybe, but, you know, maybe they're 250 by the time they're 55, and then beyond there, it's just, you know, 250 forever, or maybe it gets up to 275 because their reading distances need to increase because of mild AMD or whatever. But um, but then now there's this this kind of classification system, and what I want to know is first, um, what are those kind of parameters of the numbers that we would think? Because you know optometrists often think in terms of diopters, and second, why do I care as a clinician? Why do I care about like the strategies in terms of communication and I like presenting ideas to a mild presbyope versus an absolute or like a severe presbyope? What what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, great, great questions here. And, you know, I was very fortunate to be on this uh, working group for the classification project. And so we went back and forth with advanced versus severe. And we actually came up with advanced um, because we didn't want it to sound uh, so devastating. And so it, but I always have to tell myself too, it's mild, moderate, and advanced. Advanced, but okay. Levels, <laughs> but maybe if I say severe, my patients will take it more se- se- uh, <laughs> make, take it more seriously. Or maybe they'll you have severe presbyopia. <laughs> the scare tactic does work well for many. <laughs> yeah, it does. But the level, to answer your question, the levels really directly uh, relate to that accommodative reserve of the lens and refer to lenticular dysfunction. So we want to use this classification not just for, say, spectacle lenses, but maybe for surgical outcomes and contact lens options and also for pharmaceutical options for presbyopia. So just so that we're all speaking the same language, so we're all on the same page. 
And so to answer your question as well, you know, what are these ad powers and things like that? And it's all uh, listed out. You can download it free of charge as well, this publication. But 125 or less is that mild, the moderate, 125 to 2, and then the advanced greater than plus 2. Now, this was, and these are just guidelines that you can use. Of course, some patients require different ads for different sort of activities and tasks. And, you know, when we're talking about different tasks and things that we're doing, all of us right now are on digital devices so much, right? And we, and we did talk about that in this publication as well, because we, all of us, are using digital devices. All of our patients are using digital devices. Digital devices, kids, my kids are using digital devices. Everyone's using digital devices. And a 2021 study evaluated computer vision syndrome in 69 presbyopic digital device workers who are about 55 years old and about 80% were amatropes. 65% had advanced presbyopia, and basically the prevalence of CVS after wearing progressive lenses or occupational lenses for three months was reduced uh, to 68%, 33%, and 18%. So I know Pam uses these lenses a lot in her practice. So Pam, can you tell us about them? Absolutely. You know, so I graduated in 1988 where our world was driving watching TV and reading the Sunday newspaper. So, you know, life was very different to your point, Chris and, and Melissa, everyone is on digital devices now. And so the first no lines or progressives that came out were very great at cosmetically masking that line if, again, because there's that emotion of feeling old that, that goes around presbyopia. Um, and, but, you know, they had their faults. They, you could see well far away, but there was these corridors that were narrow and you had to teach a patient how to point their nose at what they were reading. And so it could be frustrating for a good percentage of patients. Now, fast forward to today, unbelievable, especially in the Verilux X, which is our top uh, digital progressive in our practice. So what has happened is progressives and most progressives still today, when you look through one point in the lens, you're looking through that one point, it, it gives you one focal point at a certain distance. Well, now the X lenses are different because when you look through one point, you're actually seeing multiple distances. And when you think of not only digital devices, our computers, but think of, you know, our cars are like cockpits now. It's just crazy with what yeah. you need to see in the car. And so now that I have a, a, a design and a lens that I could look at a certain point, but it gives me a wider field of view in that arm's distance away. And it gives you a greater volume. Where the old designs, again, nose pointing, um, you didn't have a volume and a wideness to your vision. So now that all goes away. And when you put these lenses on, they're easier to adapt to. And part of the reason they're really easier to adapt to is because there's not that swim. We all heard of patients coming in and we talk about a progressive and no, 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 I tried those. And when I go down steps, I feel like I'm going to fall. Well, the new designs of these have what they call nanoptics technology, and the shape of the lens is also different, along with those focal points giving you multiple distances. And so that's what's just so amazing is there is no swim. There's nothing you have to adapt to. And you guys know, I'm sure you've done this in your practice. You'll hear the optician dispense them, 
and the patient's like, well, it feels a little weird with my new progressive and the, and oh, give it two weeks. Give it two weeks and then you'll be fine. You got to get used to it. These new designs, there's no getting used to it. I mean, it's amazing. And I've lived through every iteration of these lenses and there is no swim. These corridors are unbelievable. And you just feel like it's your natural vision back again. You know, I think, I think that's what I've noticed as well, Pam. I think the first thing is when I, because we, we've used Verilux designs for, uh, before I was in practice and we use the Verilux X a lot. I mean, that's our, that's our primary go-to lens um, for most of our patients, but I'm also a presbyope. And I have none of that. You know, I, I put that on. I, my patients don't have it. And I think the most important thing from a practice standpoint is, you know, first, patients are satisfied and they're happy. But even the, the logistics of dispensing that type of a lens, a lens that's very successful and doesn't give you swim and doesn't have to be have the patient handhold, handheld over time, um, it, it makes it simple in terms of, you know, worrying about non-adapts and then worrying about, you know, R, you know Rx checks. I mean, I, I will tell you that Probably the only time in our practice, almost the only time we ever do RX checks in our practices right now in our practice, uh, there's three of us. I would say that 90% of our RX checks are when patients went and got their glasses someplace else. And then they're coming back to us because they're not working well. And so we actually have a, a different strategy to handle that. It's probably, I mean, we can definitely talk about that. But, you know, my, my perspective on that is if, if we made the glasses here, I'll do RX checks at no charge. But if, 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 it is, if, if we determine that the problem within that RX check and it gets back to the doctor in our office, the problem was that the lenses weren't made well or I put it in the foropter and they're seeing 2015 at distance and 2015 at near and we check all this stuff out and it's, the patient's seeing 2030, that, that's going to be a feat, right? Because that's more of my time that I had to spend because they went someplace else to try to get a deal. And I don't blame patients for doing that. I mean, people could disagree with that method. method. It's just what works in our practice. Well, listen, Melissa, Pam, this has been a great conversation. I love, I mean, I had a ton of fun having it. Uh, and thanks for so much for your time and coming on today. Oh, Thank thanks. you. Thanks for having us, Chris. It's always good to be with you because it's fun with a purpose. <laughs> <laughs>